Well, good morning again, everybody. It's good to be here at Gosford Church. Yeah, I've been here once before as a visitor. I um, Sometimes when we get a bit of spare time or if we get a cancellation, we try and drop into a church we haven't been to and we called in once. And it's good to be here today. That's looking very yellow. Um, it's okay. So let me just say, uh, Katie on your video, did you know she got engaged last week? Yeah. <laughs> got a, a, her and Robbie. And um, that's exciting. The... Um, and uh, yeah, that's good. That's good. Katie, Waite and Robbie. And uh, guys, I really enjoyed your singing. Really nice. And um, better get some secret men's business happening too. The, um, we are, oh, that's looking better. Okay, guys, um, I'd like to just show you, just before we start this morning, just a couple of things that have happened and are happening in the youth department before we move on. The, um, we uh, work, I hope you realise that there's youth and there's young adults. Blair looks after young adults, I look after youth. And so just a few things that have happened is uh, we started off our year with our youth muster, where we combined with South New South Wales. We're trying to do stuff with um, the youth out west and include them in everything that's happening. We're having two, two times through the year, we're having meetings with our um, regional youth leaders and trying to um, build work through that way. Storm codes have just happened. Katie, by the way, led our led her first storm code. Um, Katie, storm codes are happening this holiday. It's just gone, and next holiday is one of the things we're trying to do with storm code. Storm code, for example, has been going to let's pick a town. Let's pick um, what's the town just in South New South Wales? I can't think of the name. Um, hey, Cobar. Cobar. Storm code has been going to Cobar for 21 years, and that's good. But now what? Now what? And I want to. I would like to link Stormco. Keep it. Keep it as it is. But also tie it closer in with um, somehow we can plant churches out of these out of these things. Um, got to do something with it. The um, big camp was interesting. Unbeknown to each department, youth that uh, the juniors had great controversy. The young adults had the Book of Revelation, and the teen tent had Daniel, all looking at the prophecies. And I'm going to talk more about this as we look a bit more as we go along. But um, I think it's very um, important that our young people know the Bible prophecies. We have youth camps happening. The next one, or Shred It's happening very soon. That's we combined Australia um, youth there and Western Youth Camp at the end of August. Preaching trip in Philippines has just finished. They went out there and uh, many of you would know Katie, um, Caitlin, I think you call her here. Um, yeah, PA, uh, my youth PA, she went out there and um, a week before she went found she was preaching every night also. And uh, it's good. A rise is happening and, uh, you know, Ryan, I think, is Ryan the only one here from, at Arise at the moment? But uh, Ryan's there doing well and Arise for Life's happening. And uh, guys, this is one of our best things we could ever have um, in this conference and for Australia. And one of the next big major things we're doing is we're going to do an Outback Mission and Build Trip at Fink. Fink is in the, it's well, no, it's 36 kilometres off the dead centre of Australia. And uh, we're going to drive out there, do some work on the Fink Church. That's the Fink Church there. Um, it's never quite been finished. We're not going to finish it, but we'll make some progress towards it. And uh, we're going to go out there and do that. And one of the things in the youth department, we are working in conjunction with the strategic plan. One of the things we would like to promote in the churches around the conference is this book. I'd love your church to grab this book. 
for your leaders to read it, pass it around. Most of the time we look at why young people leave church. This study looked at why young people stayed at church. And they went to churches that were keeping their young people and said, what do these churches have in common? And they found, well, let me show you the myths first. The, they, they list the myths. The myths are you need a precise size, a right location, exact age. You don't have to be a popular denomination. You don't have to be cool. You don't have to have a modern building. You don't have to have a big budget. You don't have to have a contemporary worship service to keep your young people. You don't have to have a watered-down teaching style. And you don't have to be entertaining. What they did find is you needed these six or seven components. The first one being keychain leadership. That is a planned, um, what's the word? A planned way of passing leadership. Now, I've been very interested watching here. Very much having your young people involved in the running of the program. That's really good. But um, a key way, a, a, a planned way of passing leadership and responsibility on the young people. Empathy, understanding where the young people are at. They are struggling with issues that you and I, in my age group, and even in the next age group down, we didn't dream of. And we need to understand the churches that keep the young people understand what the young people are going through today. The Jesus message down here, the, um, to quote the guy who uh, co-authored this book, he said, the young people don't need grace. They need grace and obedience. They need to know that grace comes with responsibility to grow like Jesus. And um, it was very interesting. The message, he said, don't water down the message to your young people. And let's face it, guys, at school they're learning stuff in primary school that we learned in high school. They can, they can handle it. Warm relationships, intergenerational. They found that often the people, the young people in these churches pointed to as being influential in their life was not the young person leader, but an old person that took interest in them. Uh, and so warm relationships throughout the church. And you can do all those four things and still lose your youth unless you prioritise everywhere, not just youth, but parents and children. The young, your young married parents and, um, and uh, children and youth. Prioritise in your church everything. How does this affect, where, how will this grow our young people, grow our family, grow our youth? And the last one, best neighbours, they found, and this is very true, young people want action. They want to do something, they want to be involved in stuff, but also... They want to know that when they bring their friend to church, that we are the best neighbour to that friend. They want to know that it's a safe place to bring their friend. And so those six things combined with being Jesus-focused, they have found is the common denominator, doesn't matter regardless of the denomination, that keeps young people in church. So I'd really recommend growing young, Go to the ABC. Now, what do you call it here? Better Books and Food. Go to Better Books and Food. Um, I keep ordering some and then selling out because I keep advertising it. Get the book, guys. Okay, and this is my motto I work to as a pastor, whether it's in a church pastor or now in youth. The best help the ministers can give the members of our churches is not preaching to you, okay, but planning work for them. Eat, give each one something to do for somebody else. That's the best thing we can do as a pastor for you guys. And that fits right into the book. 
keychain leadership, best neighbours, all those things. Fits right in. Okay, enough of that. Let's have prayer and get into our service. Heavenly Father, I'd like to ask this morning, please, Father, for your Holy Spirit to, bless, to please bless me and, and to speak through me. Give me your words, not mine. I'd like to pray, for, pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit to speak to each person here, that they hear the message that you want them to hear, not necessarily what I speak, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I must give an apology to your bulletin leader. It's not her fault, wherever she is. Um, because my sermon today is not um, Jonah, chicken or champion. Um, I'm not quite sure how that got there. But anyhow, it is a sermon title I often do. But um, I want to start our sermon this morning with asking this question. Why did you come to church today? Now, for some young people, it'll be because mum and dad made me. Um, for some people, it's because this is what we do today. I never thought about it. You know, and going back to the young people, you know, that's not a bad thing. I actually think it's good mum and dad make you, as long as they don't have to continue making you come. Okay? Um, for those who come just because it's what we do, well, that's a good thing too. But if that's the only reason, well, that's probably not good, the best thing either. Some would say we come to hear a spiritual get-fed message. Well, that's good, as long as you don't try and eat once a week. Um, the... Uh, there's lots of reasons why we come to church today. Emphasis on today. What about why do you go to church full stop? And what about why do you go today on Saturday? And what about this question, which I think is probably more important. Why do people not come to church today? If they didn't come to church today because we're here, we've got a job to do. Um, but I want to talk this morning... Um, to an issue I believe is happening, we, we need to understand who we are as a people, why we are here, why we exist, and, um, and why do we come to church today, and that's what I want to talk to this morning. Did you know that we lose, between, depending which survey you look at, between 62 and 80% of our young people? We lose, which means we're only keeping 3 out of 10. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Many reasons, you know, guys, no matter what the youth department does, it comes down to home, large, well, not always. You know, you can do your best at home too. But we, we, church can do its best, home can do its best, but we need to do as much as we can to keep our young people, and that's why I'm emphasising this book. Um, I really want to encourage you to read it. Um, I want to ask a few more questions. Because young people are often not going to church today because they're asking these sort of questions. Where do I fit into God's church? Do we fit? I mean, this is not just young people asking this question. This is all of us probably ask this sort of question at some point. Where do I fit into God's church? Does God's church look like it's worth fitting into? Is God's church acting like God's church? You know, sometimes young people say, why should I go there? A bunch of hypocrites. And my answer usually is something along the lines of one more won't hurt. But, but, the, um, but the reality is, guys, we often don't do as a church how we should be. We're not actually, often we're not as a church quite functioning the way we should be. And we need to have our young people and people, visitors, anybody, everybody, knowing they fit in. 
and that this church is worth fitting into. It is acting like God's church. Is it even God's church or plenty of others? When I was a young person, or when I was younger, if a person left the Seventh Adventist Church, they usually went nowhere because they understood the prophecies on the future events that are about to take place. And so therefore they went nowhere. But today it's very common for our young people to go just down the road to the Sunday keeping church where there's action happening. Is it even God's church? There are plenty of others. Is church relevant today? Sometimes our young people feel and, and people in general feel and pe people in general feel and people outside the church feel church is no longer relevant. And what do people out there see, the people in your neighbourhood, do they see anything in this church that we have that they would want? Because if they can't see anything in here that they would want, why would they come? And secondly, why would our youth stay? I want to answer these questions this morning. I'm hoping to answer these questions this morning by going to Revelation chapter 10. I want to go there, but before I do, the first time I preached this sermon, my mate told me afterwards that was the most disjointed sermon I ever heard. And so I want to try and tie some things together. I thought everything would be just, everyone would link everything together automatically. But let me go through and link some thoughts together in your mind, give you some background to Revelation chapter 10 and where I'm going by just backing up a bit and showing you a few things. First of all, here's a quote from Testimonies and Ministers. When we as a people understand what this book, that is the book of Revelation, means to us, there will be seen among us a great revival. We do not understand fully the lessons that it teaches, notwithstanding the injunction given for us to us to search and study it. I really do believe it come to my attention early this year. We have two kinds of Bible studies we give as a church. One is a prophetic line of Bible study that we usually give in an evangelistic type program to the people around, and one is a 28 fundamental style type Bible study that we usually give to our youth. And I think we need to change that a bit. Our young people need to understand the prophecies of the scripture and where we are in today's world. For example, if we study the Bible, if we study prophecy, if we study revelation, we will know where we have come from, we will know where we are going to, and we will know why we are here. Some basic, basic questions that we all need to know is where we've come from, where we're going, while we're here, it is identity and purpose. Identity and purpose is found in the prophecies of the scripture. I really believe that we need to be teaching our young people the identity and purpose. For example, seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven churches, all these three groups of seven go through the time periods in Revelation from the time of Christ, the beginning of the Christian church, down through the second coming. In the seven churches, we're living in church number seven. And when does Jesus come? In the seventh church. In other words, how much time have we got in this earth's history? We have urgency. We, have, we already know from this very first church that we are living near the end of time. It's not going to go on and on and on. We have Jesus coming soon. And that even gives us a warning that the church in general at this point 
will be a bit wishy-washy. Matter of fact, pretty wishy-washy. And we've got to make sure we're not. If we come to the seven seals, it covers the same time period, doing the same sort of thing. And Jesus comes in seal number six. And seal number seven is part of the second coming. But at, at seal number six, after it gives you all the, the trials that are going to come, it asks the question, it says, who is going to stand through this time? In other words, who is going to stand in this last day time? Who's going to be able to make it through this time? And it stops and gives you a whole chapter, chapter, number, uh, verse, uh, chapter 7, telling you the character and the type of person that is going to be able to stand through this time period in the last days. We need to know that. And where, where I'm going in my sermon this morning Talking, asking all those questions, we're going to be sort of, sort of leaning that way. The seven trumpets does the same thing, covers the same time periods, but when it gets the trumpet, by the way, Jesus comes in trumpet number seven, we're living in trumpet number seven, well, depending how you interpret trumpets, but we're living right down at the end. But the main point is, when you get the trumpet number six, again it stops. And this time, it gives you nearly two full chapters identifying the time so we have no mistake as to the time we live in and then identifying the people of the church in that time. And that's where we're going this morning. We're going to go to those chapters between Trumpet 6 and Trumpet 7. We have a 1260-year prophecy in Revelation. By the way, guys, I'm giving you the short version in this whole sermon, Okay. So all the short version. Giving you 1260-year prophecy. The prophecy of the Antichrist uh, finishes in 1798. And very clearly, as we study the Bible, the time of the end begins when this prophecy finishes. Not the end of time. We're still here. But the time of the end, the last day period, starts when this prophecy finishes. And it's at this time that our understanding of the church, Christians' understanding of prophecy, begins to increase as we'll look at it in a minute. And I want to tie in today the 2,300-year prophecy. Big subject today, isn't it? I'm going to tie in today the 2,300-year prophecy of Daniel, finishing in 1844. Okay. Let me back up again. I want to give you a chiastic structure of Revelation. Now, in a chiasm, um, the first chiasm can be a chapter, it can be a book, it can be just a, just a few verses within a chapter. The first verse and the last verse says the same thing. The second verse and the second last says the same thing. The third verse and the third last will say the same thing. The center of a chiasm, it doesn't matter what, how many verses it is, the center of the chiasm is the focus of that passage. For example, in Revelation, you have a prologue, epilogue. You have B, the promises of the overcomer, the end of Revelation, fulfillment of the promises of the overcomer. You have God's work for humanity's salvation, and the see down the bottom, God's work for humanity's salvation completed. D, God's wrath mixed with mercy. D, God's final wrath unmixed with mercy. E, commissioning of John the prophecy. E, the, the church proclaims end time gospel. And the central focus of Revelation is the great controversy between Christ and Satan. We are living when that great controversy between Christ and Satan is coming to a head. We need to understand that. We need to be teaching that. We need to realize that. Let me put a chiastic structure in a different way. Let's do it by chapter. Revelation 1 to 11 brings us up to 1844, the cleansing of the sanctuary, heavenly judgment. And um, yeah, Revelation chapter 12, 
God's church in the final conflict. Revelation 13, the Antichrist in the final conflict. Revelation 14 on, God's final victory. And it's interesting, it takes the first half of Revelation to come right down through nearly 2,000 years, but it takes the second half of Revelation to deal with the last little bit of this earth's history. You see what I'm saying? In other words, Revelation is homing in on today for us. We as a people, Revelation is speaking to us. We need to understand what it is trying to say, where it is leading us. And again, in the final conflict, in the focus, it is still a great controversy, but this time you can see it's a great controversy on earth between God's church and the Antichrist church. God's conflict, the great controversy between Christ and Satan is homing in on us and those that will be against us. We need to understand these things. Now, I've mentioned a couple of times, I've talked about God's church. I want you to grab your Bibles. I'm just going to give a very brief explanation here because um, I realize that there could be some today that are visiting us for the first time or just new. And um, I'm using this term God's church. Let me very clearly give this to you and then give an explanation. This is, again, a short version. We could do this a few ways. But in Revelation chapter 12 where it talks about the woman representing God's church down through time. When it gets to the end of Revelation, talking about God's church in the last days, it clearly says in Revelation 12, verse 17, And he, the dragon, was angry with the woman, that is God's church, and declared war against the rest of her children, that's the last part of the church, all who keep God's commandments and have the testimony of Jesus. And we as Seventh-day Adventists would usually go then to Revelation 19.10, say the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Good stuff. But if we also go to Revelation chapter 1, the testimony of Jesus is an understanding of prophecy. An understanding of prophecy. Revelation chapter 1, first three verses. And so I believe with all my heart that I belong to God's church. Does that make... Let me, let me back up a bit. I believe God has people in every church. I believe God can bring salvation to people in no matter what denomination. I believe God has called this church to keep the testimony of Jesus and the commandments and fulfill these things. Does that make us better than other denominations? No, absolutely not. But it does make us more responsible. I believe that God has his people in every church. But I believe God has called this church to a particular job and a particular message to do. And so I just want to make that clear. When I talk about God's church, I am talking about Seventh-day Adventist church, but I recognize very clearly God has his people in every church. And, um, and we are no better than them. We are no better at all, but we are more responsible. Okay, moving on. To give you a bit more background before we move into the real part of the sermon. In Daniel, we have a 2,300-year prophecy found in Revelation, uh, sorry, in Daniel 8.14. And that prophecy went from 457 down to 1844. And we as a people would understand this prophecy to be talking about God's pre-advent judgment. So before Jesus comes, 
He doesn't need to know who's, coming, who's going to be saved or not because he already knows. But the universe needs to know that God's doing the right thing. And ultimately, we need to know that God's doing the right thing when he saves some and, and doesn't save others. In Revelation 14, it gives the message that was to be preached from 1844 or just before 1844 onwards to the end of time. And in Revelation 10, it gives, the, it gives you the description of the people living in 1844 that preached the Revelation 14 message. Does that make sense? Let me say that for you again. Daniel gives us a, a prophecy down to 1844. In Revelation 14, it gives us a message that was to be preached from, from before 18, just before 1844 onwards to the end of time. And Revelation 10 gives a description of the people who started the preaching in 1844. That's where we're going today. So let me ask some more questions. Where does the Seventh Adventist Church stand in all of this? Are we just another church? Are we different? Does God have a purpose for the Seventh Adventist Church? And if so, what is that purpose? Is the Seventh Adventist Church fulfilling God's purpose? Good question. I want to find out as we look at Revelation chapter 10. I believe we'll answer all these questions in Revelation chapter 10. To do that, I want to go and speak very briefly before we open up the Bible. I want to speak very briefly about William Miller. William Miller was a deist. That means he believed in God, but that God created the world and buzzed off. Didn't want anything to do with us. And so he didn't want anything to do with God. Until in the War of Independence, everyone around him was killed and he was left alive. He was still standing. He decided maybe God does care and he started studying the Bible. When he got down to Daniel, chapter, Daniel and gender, in particular Daniel chapter 8, 14, he found this prophecy and he started working it out. And he came, as a matter of fact, to 1843 which later on they refined it down to 1844. He wasn't the only man preaching this message. There was a man by the name of um, Joseph Wolfe. He was preaching it in America and in the Middle East. In South America, there was a man by the name of Lacunza, a Jesuit priest who was preaching the message also. He wrote a book under a different name. It made its way to England, interpreted into English. And there were many Church of England ministers preaching the same thing. In Europe, there were child preachers teaching the same thing. This was a worldwide message. To us, we would call it within our denomination, this, the Great Advent Awakening. In the world, they call it the Second Great Awakening. If you want to go to Mr. Google and Google the Great Awakening, you'll find there was a religious revival at the end of the 1260 years, exactly as the Bible said there would be. And then, if you, then as that died off, towards the... Towards the um, middle of the beginning of the 1800s, there was a second great awakening. Google it. And the great Adventist awakening, the great Advent awakening was part of the great awakening, or the second great awakening. So William Miller, he found this prophecy. He made a mistake. The common thought of the day was that the, that the earth was the sanctuary. And if the, earth was, if the sanctuary was going to be cleansed, that means the earth is going to be cleansed. How can the earth be cleansed except by fire at the second coming? Jesus must be going to come in 1844. And so that's what they preached. They found Revelation 14 and they preached the first two angels' messages. And then they finally got down to October 22, 1844. And October 22, 1844 came. Guess what? Nothing happened. 
that they could see. And as you read, one of the pioneers, he said, we wept and wept and wept. We don't understand in our day and age what this meant, I think. There was approximately, well, it depends who you read, between 65 and 115,000 believers in America at the time with a population of 15,000. That's what, half our population and double the amount of Adventists. The, um, they didn't have social security. When they thought Jesus was coming, they closed their shops, they gave up their jobs, they sold the machinery, they gave away their, their farm animals, they didn't harvest their fruit, they didn't plant for the future, and all of a sudden, they're stuck. This was a major, major disaster, if you want to put it, for these people. Apart from the fact that Jesus didn't come and they were so, so, so disappointed. And as a result, as a result, that movement, the Millerite movement, the Advent Awakening, broke up into basically four groups. The larger group just spread out, disappeared, wanted nothing to do. Another group believed Jesus did come and that everyone was now holy and sanctified and went into fanaticism with some very unholy results. A third group went on date setting and we have a major denomination today that is a result of the continued date setting. And a fourth group, a small group, said, where did we go wrong? They went back and they studied Daniel. They studied the prophecy. Yes, the time was right. Hiram Edson, on October 23, was walking across his field on his way to visit neighbours who he knew also would be disappointed and he received a revelation from God that there is a heavenly sanctuary and as these group got together of about a hundred people they started to realize there's a heavenly sanctuary and they found Revelation chapter 10. I want you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 10 with me and let's go through what's there. I'm going to read Mostly from the New Living Translation, Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. Let me start reading. I saw another, I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his feet. His face shone like the sun, his feet were like pillars of fire. If we go back to chapter 1, this is clearly Jesus. Why is he called a messenger? He's not a messenger. He's a, so why is he called an angel? He's a mighty angel, a mighty messenger with a mighty message to give. In verse 2, his hand, in his hand he had a small scroll. I love the way the New Living puts this. In his hand he had a small scroll that had been opened, inferring it was closed. Note that point. He stood with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. This was a worldwide message. Verse 3, he gave a great shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, keep secret what the seven thunders said. Don't write it down. John clearly understood what the seven thunders said. Um, and the seven thunders are always the voice of God in Revelation. Oh, so the thunder is always the voice of God. And if we study the Bible and spirit of prophecy, we'll find that it was revealed to John exactly what would happen, but God said, don't write it down. There was a reason. Verse 5, The angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand towards heaven. He swore with an oath in the name of the one who lives forever and ever. He created the heavens and everything in them, earthly in the earth and everything in it, and the sea and everything in it. Um, 
Revelation 14 pulls from this voice, this verse. He said, there'll be time no longer. Note that point there. There'll be time no longer. When the seventh angel blows his trumpet, the mystery, God's mysterious plan will be finished. If you want to know what the mysterious plan is finished, go to this. It's the same thing. God's mysterious plan will be finished. It will happen just as he announced to his, seven ser to his servants, the prophets. Verse 8. Then the voice from heaven spoke to me again, Go and take, open, take the open scroll from the angel's hand, who is standing in the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the scroll. He said, Take it, eat it. It will be, in, it'll be sweet as honey in your mouth. By the way, in the New Living here, it actually turns it around. This is actually a chiasm, these next few verses, but it turns it around in this verse to make it not a chiasm. But it gives the same message. Um, it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. It will turn sour in your stomach. So I took the small scroll out of the angel's hand and ate it. It was sweet in my mouth, but when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. Let's back up here for a minute. The people had, received, had had a disappointment. They had studied this, go back and study where they went wrong. They found Revelation and the sanctuary, the heavenly sanctuary. Then they found Revelation chapter 10. And they found things like an angel holding a book that was closed but now open. The only book that was ever closed and now open was the book of Daniel. And guess where the 2300 day prophecy that finished in 1844 came from? It got their attention. And so they went back to the book of Daniel, and here's Daniel chapter 12. But Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book, even to the time of the end. That's after the 1260 years. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. That is knowledge on the book of the prophecies here. That knowledge of prophecy will increase at the time of the end. They found another verse, Daniel 12, 9. He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and seal it until the time of the end. Then they read there where it said time no longer. The 2003 day prophecy finishing in 1844 is the last time prophecy. There are more events to come, but there are no more prophecies set in time. And so time was no longer. They said this is fitting. And then they read where it's going to be sweet in their mouth. It was a sweet message. It was exciting. And then they read where it would be bitter in their belly. They said, this is exactly what's happened. This Revelation chapter 10 is us. They recognized that God had foreseen their rise and mistake in Revelation chapter 10. And they also noticed the next verse in Daniel 12, 9 and 10. He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried. Daniel itself said that when the book was opened, there would be a great testing time as they started to understand this book. And they recognized this is talking about us. And it's interesting, in that time there was only about 100 people in this group, but five years later there was 2,500 people believing the same thing. Amazing growth. Why? Because they saw that they had identity. God had identified and foresaw this group of people. And a few years later, they took on a name and called themselves Seventh-day Adventists. In other words, folks, there are only two churches identified in the Scriptures. The Antichrist... 
and the Revelation 10 church. The Revelation 10 church is the beginning of our church. We have our identity as a church, as a beginning. We are written into scriptures in Revelation chapter 10. We are there as a church. And then they read chapter 10 verse 11 on the 11.2. Let's read it. Let's read chapter 10 verse 11. Then I was told... You must prophesy again. Now, they had been prophesying. They'd been teaching Jesus is coming again. That's prophecy, okay? They, you must prophesy again before many people, nations, languages, and kings. Revelation 14. And then verse 11, chapter 11, I was given a measuring stick. I was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar. That word temple there is specifically talking about the inner temple, the holy place, the most holy place, and count the number of worshippers, but don't measure the outer courtyard. And as they realized, this was exactly the mistake they had made when they went back and studied the earthly sanctuary. That's where they'd made a mistake. Go back and study the people and what they do in the sanctuary. They realized that this again was talking about not just who they were, but now their purpose. Go and prophesy again do it again but get it right this time do it again god has called these people out given them identity and given them a purpose and that folks is us today does that make us better than other denominations absolutely no does it make us more responsible than other denominations absolutely yes definitely yes Revelation 10. Where does the Seventh Adventist Church stand in all this today? Let me ask some of the same questions again. Where does the Seventh Adventist Church stand in this today? We are the church that God foresaw rising up and wrote about us in Revelation chapter 10 down to 11.2. Is the Seventh Adventist Church relevant for today? It should be. It really, folks, should be the most relevant church for the day and age we live in because we have an understanding of prophecy that other churches have not grasped yet. Does God have a purpose for our church? We are to prophesy again and again and again till Jesus comes about what God has called us to do. And by the way, in that prophecy, they were preaching the first and second angels that, yes, judgment hour has come, but also in the context of the gospel of Jesus. And that judgment is a good news if we have Jesus. Are we just another church or are we different? We are definitely, should be different. Is the church fulfilling God's prophecy, God's purpose for it? Let's do it. Folks, Revelation chapter 10 gives us our identity as a people and our purpose, very clearly speaking directly to us as a people. So, has our church been faithful to its calling? Or more to the point, have you and I, because you and I are the church, we are the church, the church is not corporate, the church boils down to you and I, are we faithful to God's calling? I want to finish off by going to Jeremiah chapter 1. And you might be saying, what does Jeremiah chapter 1 have to do with this? It is so much in line, it's not funny. Jeremiah chapter 1, come with me in your Bibles, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Chapter 1, 
starting in verse 4. Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 4. By the way, this is God calling Jeremiah. How old do you think Jeremiah was when God called him? Probably between 16 and 18 years old when God called him to ministry. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. Folks, let me ask you a question. Does God know the end from the beginning? Do we believe God knew about us before we were born? Do we believe that God would know about the rise of the Millerite movement and the Seventh Adventist Church before we were born, before it was born? Absolutely. God knew about us, God knew about our church before it happened. It says, before I, before I formed you in, the, in the, your mother's belly, I knew you. Before you came out of the womb, before you gave birth, I sanctified you. What does it mean to be sanctified? Set aside for a holy purpose. God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I've set you aside for a holy purpose. God says to you and I, every one of us, young people and old, you and I are set aside for a holy purpose. And God said to this church, before it was born, you are set aside for a holy purpose. And then it says, and I ordained you. Hot topic. But let's put it in its basic. Basically, when we ordain a deacon or an elder, we are saying we recognize God's gift or talent to that person and we are commissioning them to work. And God said, to us, I've given you gifts and talents. I'm commissioning you to work. And God said to this church, before we were even born, I'm going to give you gifts and talents and I'm commissioning you to go and serve and work. And what are we going to work and do? He had sanctified and ordained Jeremiah as a prophet to the nations. How many prophets, how many people with a prophetic gift to you? Okay, let me ask another way. How many people with a responsibility to teach a prophetic message here? That's all of us. All of us are prophets in some way. Even though we may not get the direct revelation from God, we have a prophetic message to give that Jesus is coming again and we have been commissioned, ordained and sanctified to set, set apart to go and do this job as a church. And then Jeremiah starts and God says, God, I can't do this. I can't speak. I'm too young. You know, sometimes as a people, we will say the same thing. Sometimes I've only been baptized for six months. I can't do it. I don't know enough. I've only been baptized for six years. I don't know enough. I've been sitting in church for 60 years and I still don't know enough. Guys, God is calling us to speak out what we do. Now, how much did the demoniac, when Jesus said that that demoniac, he healed him, he come across, get on the shore, they came down, he healed him. How long was he with him and how long, what did he say to go, to go and do? He said, go home and tell what God has done for you. God is calling us to go and tell what we know, what God has done for us. And then he says here, um, verse 7, God said to me, don't say I'm a child, where you'll go to all that I send you and whatever I command you, you'll speak. Don't be afraid of their faces. I'm with you to deliver you. You know, if we go to work on Monday morning, um, as a builder, when I was building, typically Monday morning you sit down for smoko and the first thing they say is, what did you do on the weekend? I can see some people mouthing it. What did you do on the weekend? Oh, and I would conveniently leave out Saturday and start with Saturday night. Until I realised 
that I, was, I decided I wanted to be intentionally Christian without preaching. And so I'd tell them, ah, oh, went to church Saturday morning, the preacher was boring this week, and then Saturday afternoon, and then Saturday night, and the next week they'd say, well, was the preacher boring this week too? No, the preacher was good this week. We need to be intentionally Christian. Don't be afraid of their faces. God has called us. He has commissioned us. He has set us aside to do his bidding, to preach the message, to preach a prophetic message. Verse 9, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. We could talk about that. But see, I've set you this day over nations and kingdoms. Think of Revelation 14. Every nation, kingdom, tongue and people. To root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down the kingdom of Satan. But he finishes to build and to plant the kingdom of God. God has called all of us. God has called this church. God saw us before we were formed, before as a church. God saw this church birth and set this church to work. Where do I fit into God's church? Young people, I want to tell you, if you don't know where you fit into God's church, go to your minister and pester him and annoy him and bug him until he helps you find out where you fit into God's church. There's a place that God, as, as gifts God has given you, and you fit somewhere. Find out where it is. Don't give up. Does God's church look like it's worth fitting into? We as corporately need to make sure that we make sure that this church, Gosford Seventh-day Adventist Church, and every Seventh-day Adventist church looks like Jesus when people walk in. Is God's church anything like God's church? That's totally up to us. Is it even God's church? There are plenty of others. Jesus can be found in other churches, but no other church has been given the commission to keep the commandments of God, the testimony of Jesus, and the preacher prophetic message of Revelation 14 till Jesus comes. We have been given a commission to teach and to preach. God has, God has called this church out. Are we better? No. Are we more accountable? Yes. Is the church relevant for me today in 2019? You know... As the end draws near, Hebrews 25 says, don't stop meeting together, as some people do. But as we see the day of Jesus approaching, it's even more important that we get together and encourage each other and help us find our identity and purpose and direction in church, in Christ, and where we're going. It's so much more important now than ever, and the devil is working harder now than ever to draw us away, and particularly our young people with everything that's going on. We need to be a church that empathizes and understands what's going on and draw close to our young people. I believe that God is calling all of us to make this church an effective tool in his mission. And the question is, will you and I allow God to do that? Folks, if you would like God to use you to help others and identify, uh, other, to help others realize our identity as a church and our purpose as a church. Would you like to raise your hand and say, Yes, Lord, I want to help others realize that we are a church called by God with a clear identity, a clear purpose? God bless.
Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for your blessings that we can sing out and cry out holy to you and that hallelujah you're a god that loves us you're a god that has called us your god has given us identity you've given us purpose we know why we are here father and we'd like to thank you for that and lord pray that we can help fulfill that identity and purpose and be faithful to you thank you lord for all you do for us bless each bless this church father and each person here and those that should be here in jesus name we pray amen, amen.